You're listening to Monster Riff Presents with your host, Monster Riff Editor, Pat Schober. And now, here's Pat. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Monster Riff Presents brought to you by MonsterRiff.com, the search for the ultimate riff. As always, I'm your host, Pat Schober, and with me today, we have three special guests. We have Blake from IWAS and Chris and Randy from Ox. How's it going, guys? Very good. How are you? Good. It's great to have you have everybody here today. Uh, we are gathered here today because of the Eastern Scrolls. This is an upcoming split between two excellent bands. For people that are just tuning in, just getting into the scene or are unaware, uh, Iwas and Ox have both been very well received within the scene. Um, so the last Iwas release was Wayward Gods in 2021. Um, I think it hit 15 on the Doom charts that month. And I was like 12, but I don't know. It I, might, yeah, it might have been uh, even higher or lower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, very well received. And Ox uh, obviously had a wonderful Heavy on the Cosmic last year, made a lot of year end lists, including Blake's personal year end list as well. So it's really great to have both of you here. And this is a really, really exciting project to be discussing. The EP, or not the EP, the split is stellar. Um, both bands specialize in different versions of psychedelic doom. Uh, Ox being a little bit more party oriented, and and Blake's being a little more depressing. And <laughs> you can hear that on on both sides of the split. So really excited to have all three of you here to kind of talk through this. Uh, I think a good starting point would be the through line uh, or the theme for this, which is. Madame Blavatsky, and I, I'll read off what is in the notes on the Black Throne website, and then we'll kind of dig in a little bit. But Madame Blavatsky was a Russian mystic and author who co-founded the uh, Theosophical Society in 1875. She gained an international following as the leading theoretician of theosophy. For those of us who know nothing about any of this, what does any of that mean? <laughs> so... Theosophy is kind of like the first time after a couple of centuries of just kind of where the occult is considered like you can't talk about it, you can't say anything about the occult. Blavatsky probably wouldn't have said that she was an occultist, but she she brings about the revival of occultism at a time when spiritualism is kind of in vogue. And so what she really does is she brings together in hope of finding a unifying religion, um, different philosophies, religions from schools of thought from all across the world and synthesizes them. Some of her ideas are, are absolutely batshit crazy, but a lot of them are really cool. And she's she's very important for, for IWAS. A lot of my stuff has been based on some of uh, Aleister Crowley's ideas. Um, and you don't you don't get him without Blavatsky and without Crowley, you probably don't get metal. And without metal, you don't really have this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So what what made you want to choose her as sort of a subject matter? That's a Blake thing. Totally. Well, it's funny because uh, the way it happened was really um, interesting. Like Blake mentioned it to, to me. I, I had originally approached Blake, I think, to do a split. Mm -hmm. and. Blake being the well-read guy that he is, uh, I think was reading a bunch of Blavatsky or 
into Blavatsky at the time and said, hey, like, I'm into this really cool personality person, whatever. And why don't we uh, do a concept split about her? And uh, I, I said, absolutely. I mean, let me read about her and make sure she's not uh, something that I don't jive with. But I did, <laughs> I did read about her and it was cool. And, you know, the, the really synchronistic thing that happened that was really interesting was our current bass player had thanked Madame Blavatsky in our liner notes of Heavy on the Cosmic about a year before I met Blake. Oh, cool. Which is really odd. And when I asked Roberto, when I asked Roberto, you know, what's up with that? He just looked at me and said, yeah, I just, I wrote it in there. And he wouldn't tell me why. Yeah. So he's, he's kind of a mysterious dude. Himself. <laughs> himself. Yeah. I met a few words and uh, it was just an odd synchronicity that uh, happened. That's super cool. What was it like weaving her ideas into your music lyrically and within the song itself? For me, it was, it was kind of a comfortable adjustment because I'd been used to, to weaving kind of occult and theoretical ideas into my lyrics as a way of talking about things that I didn't necessarily feel comfortable talking about to, you know, a large audience, large ish audience. Um, and so it was, it was one of those things where I, you know, for me, at least I, I was pivoting to, to someone that I hadn't really talked about a lot. Um, I'd read a fair amount about, and I'd read some of her works that I can get through. And so it, it was kind of, it was comfortable because I was still in the realm that I have kind of specialized in, in the last few years, but it was really refreshing in that I was working with a fresh slate of ideas. I, I could really explore different concepts. And I mean, just even having a different vocabulary in the song was nice. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was exploring, for example, the astral plane in a different way. And I was talking about the, the Akashic scrolls and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's an adjustment, but it was very comfortable for me. Yeah. And same thing for us. I mean, it's, it's not too much of a stretch in that we're writing about some occult fantastical occult things and you know one of the the batshit crazy concepts that uh blake had kind of touched on before um for example like the the one of the outro uh choruses it kind of talks about one of her concepts of the brotherhood of white light it's called which is like an ascended group of enlightened beings that live beyond death so yeah. i thought that was a really interesting and cool kind of concept and one that Sounds it does. I agree with you. It sounds like how do you, how do you prove that in, in our current existence? You don't, but it's plausible. And a lot of those plausible occult theories that you can't really nail down. I tend to kind of say, hey, maybe it's possible. And, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to believe in it to a certain extent, because why not? It makes life a lot more interesting and cool. Yeah. And music is the place where you get to play. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, the whole, the whole song, I mean, the, our initial um, verses are kind of about her childhood in, in an abstract way. And then uh, the later parts about kind of touches on some of her concepts, but, but musically for me, so, so I can't remember what the initial question was now, Pat, can you, can you just repeat your question? Yeah. Um, what, what was it like wrapping her, her sort of teachings and ideas into your lyrics and your music? Right. Well, the, the one thing I'll say is that there's so much of it that. I grabbed the first few things that I found interesting 
and just kind of let them stir about and and then the lyrics kind of fell into place um so it wasn't hard at all there's a you could write several albums about her easily yeah uh, ideas so for me it wasn't necessarily her ideas or teaching but being a female in sometimes a non-female forwarded type of area in life in music in uh just in standing uh she led an amazing life and she did things and refused to form into her line she refused to be a wife she refused to stay still she refused to believe that she could or couldn't learn certain beliefs or teachings or whatever based on the fact that she was a woman she hated Catholicism because Catholicism was stating how a woman needs to be married, serve her husband, blah, blah, blah. She was like, screw all that. And she took her own journey and she ran with it. So for me, creating this song, it was going on that journey. It was like, I love being not standing in line with everybody else. I like getting out and like kind of being amongst what other systems might kind of pull you in other directions instead of just forming that line. So she was really amazing to delve into. I love yeah, that. There's, there's like a, a relatively, I'm, I would say more than relatively plausible belief that Blavatsky was in Tibet in the late 19th century by herself when no white people were allowed into the country. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's no way to prove it, you know. It's not like they they were taking pictures of her in Tibet. But well, one thing that that really potentially proves it is that she was one of the first Westerners to have all of that knowledge, specific knowledge. Yeah, exactly. So, so she had she had access to stuff that there was no way that she like mm -hmm. almost no way she could have found that knowledge without having done what would seem to be the impossible. That's right. Yeah. So she she was kind of responsible in what I've read. She was responsible for bringing a lot of those concepts to the West. And while we're heaping out praise in multiple directions, I I, we, I think it's a good time to give a shout out to Dashi, the artist behind the cover for the split, which uh, I looked at, I've looked at a hundred times up to this point, and only just learned before the show that this is a photograph, and it is a beautiful, stunning photograph. I thought it was a painting. Um, it it spoke volumes to, uh, like you were saying about the synchronicity of things happening and all just kind of coming together to see that photo. And it was, you know, of course, in my eyes, a very stylized version, but the beauty within that was like, it's literally a woman on a journey on her own. And you're like, holy crap, like this is how she lived. Like she lived in this fantastical realm and yet stood alone. She stood out from everybody. She refused to be put into a box or put into as somebody's wife. Like she just would not have any of it. And it was, it was amazing that Dashi's photo made it like absolutely picturesque. Like it was gorgeous. And the inside liner note photos will also exemplify exactly what we were trying to put forth in our music. And it was so neat that that came together the way it did. Yeah, we, we went back and forth on a couple of different covers, but every single time that we would we would think that we were going with one thing, we'd be like, but this photo's pretty rad. Big time. Exactly. Well, as we sit here and kind of talk about the the parallels between the the painting and Blavatsky, 
I, I think it's it's just wonderful. You have like the really long flowing gown, which is like a little unreasonable, but it's like a very stylistic choice, right? And then she has the the homemade crown of of branches coming out of her hair, which is also super cool, sort of self-made. Uh, it's a wonderful parallel to the the story that you're both telling. Yeah, I feel like that woman's brain and thought systems and ideas just came out. And when you saw that and you saw her stand alone, it was stated that Blavatsky was not a very attractive woman. <laughs> and since women weren't allowed to really travel on their own back in those days, m- might I even throw out the idea that she cross-dressed to be able to go out and do the things she did? Because she definitely did at least part of what the stories that were told. And this beautiful woman standing out there and doing that, it was a great, like, almost homage to that idea that you could just go out and be your own person and have your own ideas without any constraints. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, she, she was known to, especially in her youth cross dress a fair bit. Like she, she joined, she enlisted and fought fascism or like early fascism Big time. in Italy, dressed as a man, like with a, a musket and, and everything. I love so. it. Super cool. It's pretty cool because I think there's a lot of like opposing stories to a lot of lore so, so some people will say that she was extremely sexually promiscuous, but then she'll sometimes account that she was celibate. Yeah. So you, you never know really what to believe with her, which you know kind of adds to the mystery. It's the it's the fun part for a musician interpreting her life and her her ideas, because you essentially are given carte blanche to just say whatever you want to with just kind of a general frame. That's super cool. Let's let's dig into some to the songs themselves, because I, I think it's sort of interesting juxtaposing sort of your body of work up until this point with the songs that we have in here in this split. So, Ox, we'll start with you. Your song, eighteen thirty one. I said earlier this is like a little bit like party doom. When, when my first listen, I was like, this sounds like Ox meets Electric Wizard. There was there's a little bit more bite in Don't your sound. Think- this time, this time around, the vocals were super cool as well. I was really taken away with sort of the transition from Heavy on the Cosmic to what we have here. How would you compare Heavy on the Cosmic to 1831 for, for people that haven't heard you yet or heard it, this song yet? It's definitely a, a step away from Heavy on the Cosmic. I think Electric, I was listening to a lot of Electric Wizard, a lot of Monolord, a lot of Conan at the time. So those three bands in particular, I think I was trying to pay homage to with the heavy, you know, thick riffs and that kind of stuff. And then with the uh, the kind of the ending part, you know, I wanted to do something that was monolord, quiet-esque on the outro. Musically, yeah, it's it, because I wanted to kind of meet Blake in the middle. I wanted to make a nice long song because I think the heaviest song on Heavy on the, sorry, the longest song on Heavy on the Cosmic is maybe seven minutes. And I wanted to do a, a something worthy of Blake length song. So <laughs> we just kept adding parts to it and adding parts to it and saying, you know, like, let's just see how long we can make this song. And uh, let's make a kind of a, a you know, a several part suite of songs uh, and then put them all together and make them work together. So I think that's unique for us. Yeah. And to tie it back into the theme of the song, There was something to be said for her life that was very tumultuous and a lot of fight 
and a lot of like give and take and like really having to put yourself out there. But then there were later years when the Theosophical Society was established and she got to like, you know, sit and teach and, you know, seance and do things and kind of, you know what I mean? You get to like flow a bit more. So the song has those ups and downs that flow through her life. Yeah. And her life was a long life and it was. it was a big journey. There's so many people in the 1800s that just don't live past a young age. And she mm -hmm. didn't just live, she thrived and pushed and never gave up. And so I feel like our song keeps thriving and waving and going through. One, one cool thing was um, I got to work with um, uh, Dan Allen, who calls himself Colonizer. Um, I asked him to do a guest vocal on the verses uh, in the first half of the song. And who is Dan Allen, if nobody... So Dan Allen is colonizer, or he's the lead singer of Indian Handcrafts, who uh, has been a you know staple in our kind of local, uh, I don't know what kind of sludge, like stoner, whatever kind of genre you want to call it. Uh, great band. I've been, I've been going to see them since the, I guess, early 2010s-ish. And uh, so it was really kind of a thrill to get to work with him. And then have our bass player slash guitarist Bob do some some violin. So he's a he's an amazing musician all around. And I was like, you know, you I know you play violin, and I really want to get that on tape. So that was cool to, to have that. Super cool. Is this your longest song to date? Oh, oh yeah. This is like <laughs> twice as long as our next longest song. <laughs> what what was that like? Actually putting it together was it nerve wracking to to build something of that scope? It was uh, some nerve wracking and some fell into place quickly, like like with most songs, you know, sometimes they take five minutes to write. Sometimes they take five months to write or mm -hmm. longer. Um, this one more or less fell into place in a few months. So it wasn't I wouldn't say nerve wracking. I mean, it's kind of a double edged sword. It's like on one hand, it's a, a it's a labor of love is what it is. Sometimes it's frustrating and you pull your hair out and you're like, I just want this riff to work and it's not going to work but it's always enjoyable. I mean, I count my blessings. I'm able to even do it. You know, it's great. What I found interesting from the outside of things, because I'm definitely not the songwriter of the group, was to see Chris create from a theme. So every other song we've created just comes naturally from out of your head. And this did as well, but Blake gave you the theme. And it was mm -hmm. the first time you had a point of contact to start from and then express, right? So it was really neat reading up on her you know, getting to know bits and pieces of her and then watch what you create of that bits and pieces. And I found that really interesting. I did get to use um, this organ. We have a couple of old organs, old analog organs uh, in our jam space. And I've always wanted to use them. So I was happy to get to use those on this recording too. Blake, let's talk about the Unholy Books. In, in trying to make a comparison, this song doesn't sound to me but I've also listened to a lot of Iwas, so maybe this won't be for everybody, but it doesn't sound like a huge deviation. What it sounds like to me, uh, it reminds me a lot, especially at the beginning of like, Call of the Siren off of Wayward Gods. And then it just sort of settles into that um, sort of slow, mid-paced, methodical sort of sound that is very, very much Iwas. And then there are a few movements throughout it. But how would how would you describe kind of the shift from Wayward Gods to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you're a musician, one of the things you're always trying to do, no matter what, is, is to not stay stagnant. You know, when you when you have a following, you you don't want to be throwing a wrench at, at a fan's head, but you do want to make them duck a little bit. Uh, <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> so, 
I, I, I don't have anything bad to say about wayward gods, but that's not really what I'm um, pursuing anymore, I guess. And so this was a great way for me to to kind of do an entryway into where my brain is going musically. And so, you know, I recorded this actually after I finished my second full length. And uh, it was it was essentially kind of being like, all right, I have this great opportunity with this, you know, the split coming out before my my second full length to really do an intro into essentially like, hey, I'm still me. Iowas is still Iowas, but I'm not going to give you from chains or Titan or man is God. I'm going to give you something a little different. I've got different influences, you know, like I, I felt like I wore my influences a little too much on my sleeve with the first album a little bit. And with this one, I feel like I'm just kind of becoming myself. So, you know, I, I really considered this song if it was of a different theme, it could have been on my my second full length album. Uh, I think it it would pair well. So when you when you hear this uh, this split, and especially if you hear my song, you're going to to hear what I hope will be deemed a, a creative evolution. And and especially you know like the bridge that that's it's a pretty long bridge, but spent a lot of time working on that because uh Todd White from King Volume I, I essentially sent him an early demo and he was like here's here's what you need to do and I was like yeah let's give it a shot why not maybe he's right uh he was right he was very much right so I'm very happy with it and you had a, a hiccup or two in the creation of this song right yeah you could definitely say a hiccup I would say like projectile vomit <laughs> No, I, it was it was getting close to when we had to uh, turn in our stems for for mixing and mastering, and I uh, I was like ah, I've been done for like a month and a half. Like I'll I'll just go and bounce all those stems and be done with it. And then I opened my laptop and I opened the file and it was corrupted. And I had uh, let's just say I had a very short amount of time to to come up with something better, as I I I, I couldn't couldn't use that file. And I was like, well, I have two choices. I can either just recreate it bit by bit, or I can try and do something better. And I think I did something better. Um, maybe one day I'll, I'll re-record that, that lost song and, and just release it for free on Bandcamp or something like that. The good yeah. news is you're in excellent company at this point. Jimi Hendrix, Built to Spill, the number of bands that lost their music and then had to make it in a mad rush is very long and those are some of the best rock albums in existence so well it comes down to you know i think that musicians tend to work pretty well under pressure you know playing live is a pressure inducing situation and if you flourish there you know it's i think it says something about you <laughs> uh, and recording can definitely be be a pressure packed situation that you either have to rise to the occasion or or you crack and you give up. I mean, I'm I'm very happy with it. I think it's a much better song than it would have been if I'd gone with with my other choice. The terrible happy accident. <laughs> it was a very very bad day that I discovered that, and now I uh, I feel a lot better. <laughs> How did you guys play off of each other? Were you 
sharing songs during the creative process to kind of listen in or were you did you both just have a starting point and then go into your separate rooms and write independently i have a hard time sharing stuff until it's very close to being done i just kind of feel like it's like me standing naked in front of someone that i don't want to be naked in front of <laughs> and uh so i i think blake's a lot more generous with sharing his ideas than i am I, uh, yeah, so I, I wasn't sharing too much aside from lyrics, maybe a little bit, but musically, uh, it was close to the end before I think Blake heard. You sent me just like a guitar demo that was like an eight minute demo thing pretty early yeah. on. And, and it's kind of the same song. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been close to being finished, like the uh, written at least. But then uh, I think we, we were, we communicate quite a bit. I think we're both talkative dudes and, uh, we're constantly engaging in chats, you know, that go on for quite a while. So we can say uh, bromance. It's okay, guys. <laughs> we can say bromance. It still exists. So yeah, there was lots of discussion about it for sure around the time. But yeah, you you were sharing quite a bit. So I heard quite a bit of that first song, uh, and I think I even heard close to it being finished. And then um, you have a lot of ideas. I would say that you know. If you released all of your ideas, you'd probably have like 10 albums by now, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, Chris is kind of, I, I have like a, a little circle of, of trusted uh, listeners, you know, and Chris and sometimes, unfortunately for her by proxy, Randy, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I send it off to Chris and he plays it and then, then Randy suffers and, and Chris gives me feedback. Randy likes melody. Randy likes a lot of melody and mm. does not necessarily always like some of my adventures. Uh, but I appreciate you. And we'll just say <laughs> we're workout buddies. So that's what we are. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're accountability buddies for working that's out. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I this one really just kind of partially by necessity and partially by luck, it just poured out of me. I, I, I remember it was something, it was, it was essentially not too far from pretty much where I just sent chris the recording and i was like i don't know what do you think uh, i'm running out of time man <laughs> and he was like yep you got a winner there so i lucked out i think awesome and i we should do a quick shout out to black throne productions for putting this together the split comes out it's available for pre-order now so you can go get that uh on the black throne website it comes out on August 25th. Is that the correct date? Yes. And the August, uh, yeah. yeah, August 25th. So that'll be a great day to party, um, grab a beer and listen to the Eastern Scrolls. Do either of you or uh, any of you have Ooh. anything you would like to plug um, before we part ways here? Christopher, are we going to say? Uh, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? What do you want to say? Well, I mean, I don't really plugging it. We're Randy and I are getting married in a couple weeks, and then uh, we're going to be complete with Mac over here. Uh, and then uh, after that, we got a bunch of shows. We have quite a busy schedule uh, in the summer and the fall. Recording for the second album will probably begin sometime late fall, fall early winter. Um, and then between that, after the after the split and before the second album, we have an EP coming out. A four-song EP. We're excited. Uh, that will be uh, kind of more like the more like heavy on the cosmic, I guess. But maybe also well, also transition to the second album. But then it's got some surprises on it as well that yeah. hopefully will be uh, hopefully will be well received. 
Well, hopefully, uh, I hope your marriage is is more goes a little bit better than a Fleetwood Mac marriage. Okay. <laughs> right? You're Fleetwood Mac. You're Blake, what about you? Uh, mostly just ramping up towards the release of my second album in uh, late this fall. And uh, beyond that, always writing. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. Exciting times. Thanks so much, uh, all of you, for being on the podcast today. And I'm sure I'll hit you up in one of those chats very soon. We appreciate <laughs> you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.